Well, uh, we're, we're in the tail end of chapter 4. Next week we'll be in chapter 5, and that's the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians. So we're making some progress here. A couple more weeks in this, this letter, and then we'll move into 2 Thessalonians uh, as we keep rolling through. Um, now, this section of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4 and chapter 5, are the only portions of the letter that are instructional. Um, they're, they're meant, Paul's basically, this is what's happened, right? Paul went to Thessalonica, was there for just a few weeks, um, a re- very short amount of time relative to the time he spent in other churches. He gets away from them because there was a riot in, forming in the city and he disappears into the, the dead of night. He disappears and, and moves on to other places. And this church is left behind without Paul um, to lead them and teach them and instruct them for years. So he eventually sends Timothy back to this church and says, hey, check on them, make sure they're doing okay. He's really worried. He was really worried about this church um, because of how quickly he had to disappear. So Timothy goes to Thessalonica, gets a report back from this church, comes to Paul and says, here's what's going on. And basically what's going on is this church is just killing it. They're doing awesome. Like they're just rocking, rocking it and loving Jesus. And, and yet, uh, so that's basically chapters one to three is Paul just going, I can't believe how good this is. This is awesome. Um, not so much with the Corinthian church, right? Not so much with the Galatian church, but the Thessalonians, they get three whole chapters just to say, you guys are awesome and good, good job on what you're doing. But he does have some things to instruct them on. And so he kind of, wraps up the letter, the first letter, with some of those points of instruction. And, and mostly it has to do with how we live in the world uh, that, that looks differently than the rest of the world, right? The, the gospel changes us, and because it changes us, uh, we live counterculturally. And that's what we've been looking at, really, throughout this whole uh, chapter. And, and what we're going to see today is a continuation of that, but, but we're going to talk about the a countercultural way that Christians look at the issue of death, which is awesome, right? Let's, let's look at that, right? And you guys are so glad you came to church today, I'm sure. Um, but really, honestly, like in, day, in, in our uh, culture, we just want to avoid this subject. We don't want to think about death. We don't want to talk about it. Somebody who brings it up might be con- accused of being morbid. Um, we think it's weird when people like, go into professions that deal with that, like funeral directors and, and those kinds of things. And, and yet we all know, we all know, because we're not, we're not, you know, dumb people. We know that people die. And we've all experienced that on one level or another with friends or family. Um, but I think we've, we've just moved in a, in a place culturally in the Western world where, it's, where death is not really in front of us a whole lot. Um, maybe in rare exceptions, but for the most part, people go to hospitals or to nursing homes and they die kind of away from their homes, their families, um, like they used to in in other times gone by. Um, And so because it's so removed from our normal everyday life, largely, unless we're in a profession where we're like doctors or nurses or people that do have to work with the sick and the dying um, and first responders, right? Those kinds of people obviously experience it more than the average person. But the average person doesn't see death the way the average person in Paul's day would have, or even the average person in, you know, in Europe or 
um, in, you know, in the Middle Ages or even early American years, right? So we're, we're so kind of separated from it that we, that we can easily ignore it uh, most of the time until it hits at home, until it hits us. We can generally pretend it's not going to happen. But here's the reality for you. Uh, because of sin, you will die. You will die. I will die. It, because we live in a sin-riddled world, that's the result of sin. For the wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. And I know you're sitting there going, oh, I'm glad I got all dressed up today to come to this thing and listen to Pastor Tom yell at me about my death. And I'm not trying to yell at you about your death. But what, what I am de- taking us to is the Bible where Paul deals with this issue directly. Because this church in Thessalonica was evidently very concerned about these issues. They didn't know, they hadn't been taught fully because of Paul's delay or, or removal very quickly from the church, they didn't get all the instruction that they needed about what happens when someone dies. Uh, where, where does all this go? And so Paul's in a very brief paragraph or two going to talk through this with them. And it's in our Bibles because we need it too. We need to continue to see this. Um, the countercultural way that, that we live with the reality of death in a sinful world uh, is, is not ultimately with fear as Christians, but with a sense of hope. And I know that sounds weird to say, but that's where the scriptures take us today. We actually see that, that there is a hope in this issue for those who believe in Jesus. And Paul's going to give us uh, several reasons why we can have hope in the face of these difficult things Um, and we'll walk through it together. But let's just look at verse 13 to start with. This is where he he is instructing them on this. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about those who are asleep. Now, that that word asleep uh, is pretty commonly used in the the New Testament in particular to be a kind of... uh, another word, of, another way of expressing death. Um, he's not talking about actual f- sleep. Uh, and we're, gonna, we're actually going to turn to the gospel of John in a little while today and see that again, uh, this concept uh, being used by Jesus, that death is more for the Christian, for the believer, is more like sleep than it is um, a, a true eternal parting. Now, there is a theology out there called soul sleep, which we do not advocate here. That's a, a theological position that basically believes that when you die, your soul stays in your body, remains in you. You don't go to be with the, in the presence of the Lord at your death, and you're just in the grave, asleep. And then they would take, they would take that idea from a passage like this. And then at the resurrection of the dead, when Christ returns, everybody wakes back up. Well, we don't adhere to that and it's not a heretical thing if you do adhere to that like okay we can talk about it but it is i think wrong because the bible teaches us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord right so when we die we go to be with the lord our souls do and and uh jesus tells the thief on the cross who's being crucified next to him today you will be with me in paradise Um, and so we see that taught in the bible that at our death we will be with jesus um, 
but the idea of sleep here that Paul's using that word to describe death is not about soul sleep. It's just a reality that points us to hope that there's actually life for us after we die. And that death is just a temporary point in time for us ultimately. So he says, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So this, this is a verse that I think it's thrown around a lot at improper times. Um, Paul is not saying here that you as a Christian should not grieve when someone dies or you should not grieve when you are facing your own death. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you may not grieve, period. He's saying that you might not grieve in the same way that others do. And who, who are those others he's talking about? He's talking about those who have no hope. So it's not that Christians are not able or called upon to grieve the loss of loved ones or our own uh, imminent death or whatever it may be as we get the news from the doctor. We can grieve these things, but we ought to grieve in a way that is countercultural, is different from those in the world who have no hope. There's, There's a difference there. Christian hope does not ignore the grief of death but it leads us to grief, grief in a different way. And so I, I think there's, that's an important thing. And unfortunately, this verse has been used many times to kind of, I guess, to comfort people, but in a really bad timing way, where when someone is grieving the death of someone, someone will swoop in and go, well, don't grieve as others do who have no hope, right? Just don't do that. Like, just as a way of living your life in general, don't, don't throw these things out at people in the moment. Like, there are time, there's a time and a place for us to be discipled and, and to, to grow in our, in our lives. But in the moment of grief, when someone is just facing that, that raw pain, these, these verses will fall, fall on them like, one of those Acme anvils, you know, on Bugs Bunny or something. Like, it just doesn't love people well to throw these things at, at them. But the truth is there. We, we see the truth of what Paul is saying, that we as Christians have a, have a hope that can carry us through our grief. It doesn't mean that we don't have grief. We don't shove grief down, but we, we deal with it in a way that is leading us to the hope of Jesus. So that's the overarching point of this section. I think Paul's just laying out, because of how brief this letter is, he's laying out in basically one sentence what his overall point is, but then he spends a little time explaining why that's true. And in this text, we actually see three different times Paul uses the word for, in the English Standard Version at least. Uh, That word can be translated because... And he's going to give us three reasons why, as Christians, we can grieve as people of hope and not people of despair. So let's look at each of those. Verse 14 is the first one. It starts with for or because, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. 
So, so let's just think about that sentence. What is Paul saying? He says, this is why we can grieve, not as others do, but, but with hope, with hopefulness in our grief. It's because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And because of that, through Jesus, God is going to bring us with him. And all those who have died who have believed in him are included in this. We can grieve with hope in this life because Jesus died and rose again. See, the amazing thing about this is that our God, who created all things, who was eternal from, from uh, eternity past to eternity future, has no beginning, has no end, became one of his creatures and took on human flesh, put human flesh upon his divinity, lived as a fully God and fully man in the person of Jesus Christ, and that the God of the universe entered in not just to our lives, but also entered into death. Think about that. That God in the person of Jesus Christ died. Now, again, we, can, we have to be careful with the, the Trinitarian theology to, to be careful not to say that God died in, in, a, in, the, in the sense that we may throw that out and kind of be incorrect in our theology, but it is right to say that Jesus died and Jesus was fully God and fully man and that the, the creator of all things entered into the world he made 2,000 years ago and he died a death on a Roman cross. He walked through death just as we will. He has gone before us. And this is why Paul calls him the first fruits of those who have died. He, he enters into it and he does ultimately away with it in the, in the grand scheme of history. And so Paul is saying because we, we can grieve with hope because we have a God who became man and died and rose to bring us to himself. Three other verses just quickly that I'll read for you that Paul wrote in, to the Corinthian church. He wrote in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, verse 14, that God raised the Lord and he will also raise us by his power. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 21 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that man is Adam, is who he's referring to. By a man also came the resurrection of the dead, and that is Jesus Christ. We're either in Adam or we're in Christ. And because if we're in Adam, because we're all in Adam, ultimately as human beings, we will experience death. Unless we're here at the return of Christ, which we will deal with next week. Um, Paul's going to go there next week, but... Putting that aside for today, we, we know that death is a reality in this world. And yet if we're in Christ, by that man has come the resurrection of the dead. So we don't have to grieve in despair because there's life on the other side of our physical death. 2 Corinthians 4.14, Paul writes, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So we can grieve with hope because Jesus died and rose again. 
Let's look at verse 15. Here's the second because or for statement. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, this is, this is getting kind of to the heart of the confusion in the Thessalonians' theology or understanding. Um, there must have been some kind of misunderstanding in this church that those who die before Christ returns are just out of luck, that somehow they're going to miss the boat, so to speak. And if that's true, then there's reason to grieve with despair, right? Because think about all the people who have died before Jesus comes back. So far, everybody who has died has died before Jesus came back. And so if it's true that those people are just out of luck because they're not alive right here when Jesus comes back, then that would be something to grieve in a despairing way. But what Paul is telling them is that Jesus is going to take them with himself as well. They're not out of luck. They, are, they actually get to be with Jesus, that they are with Jesus now in spirit and will be at the resurrection of the dead uh, at Christ's second coming, will be with him forever embodied as we will. So the second reason that Paul gives us that we can grieve with hope is that Jesus is with those who have passed on before us through death. We can grieve with hope because Jesus is with those who have passed on before us through death. If, if your loved ones loved Jesus, they are with him. And so we don't have to grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul is starting to talk about the return of Christ in this passage. We're going to get much more into it next week in chapter 5, but I just want to highlight this, that the word uh, that it says, those who are left until the coming of the Lord, this, this word coming of the Lord is um, the word, uh, the Greek word is parousia. It's, it's the word that is often translated as appearing, um, that it's, it's a word that really refers to his second coming into the world. But that word can also, there's a, there's a translation of that word that can also mean presence of the Lord. This word would have been used uh, in the Thessalonians' day to talk about the entrance of the emperor into their city. When he came for a, a visit, they would say, the, the parousia of the emperor is, is coming, right, is here. And so it's not really just about appearing like a ghost or having some kind of weird like vision, but it's really about being in the presence of Jesus and, and having him be with us. And so there's hope in this that we, we, if we die before his return, some of us will and not, maybe not all of us, right? Because we just don't know when his return will be. But if we do die before his return, and it's likely we will, um, or it's possible at the very least, we, we can still have hope that those who have gone before us and we ourselves, if we enter through death, will still be with Jesus, will be in his presence. Okay, one more because statement here, verse 16 and 17. It says, For the Lord, or because the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the vo- with the voice of an archangel, 
and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, those who died, will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, this is a verse, a passage that, that a lot of people point to as um, about the, you know, the rapture or something like that. I really don't think at all that that's the point that Paul's talking about. I think Paul's just simply saying at the second coming, the true second coming of Jesus Christ, when he returns, those who have died in him before his return will be raised first. And shortly thereafter, just boom, right after that, the second resurrection, uh, we will, those who are alive on the earth at that time will also be caught up with them in the air. And so here's the hope in this. We grieve with hope because Jesus is coming back. And when he does, we'll resurrect those who have died, and everyone who is in Christ will be with him together. That's a mouthful, but that's, that, there's a lot of hope in that. When Jesus returns, some of us will be dead, others may be alive. But regardless of where we stand in that place, at his coming, we will be together with him. So whether we're the ones that are alive at his return or whether we've died before his return, doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Because those who have died in Christ will be raised and resurrected. Their bodies will be made new again and their soul and body will be reunited. Those who are alive at that great day will just be included in that great moment of resurrection. And so we see that we can grieve with hope because when Jesus returns, all will be made right and all will be with him. Right? So we will always be with the Lord. That's, that's the hope. Regardless of whether we die or live at his return, we will be with the Lord. And so let's have hope in that. Now verse 18 takes us to what Paul really wants to get our hearts to, and it's, it's simply this, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're calling the series Encourage One Another because this, this whole letter carries the tone of encouragement. But there are a number of times throughout this letter that Paul uses the, the phrase directly, encourage one another. And here's one of them. Therefore, encourage one another. To, to encourage someone is to give someone courage. That's where that word comes from. That's what it means. It is to instill courage in another person. And so to encourage one another with these words, he's telling this church that is, they are probably pretty anxious and fearful and confused about what happens when we die and what happens if we die before Jesus comes back and what, what is all going to happen here. Paul comes in and he teaches them that there are three reasons we can grieve with hope. Jesus is alive. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to take all of us whether we're alive or dead at that, at that time, and bring us to himself. Those words should encourage us, even in the face of grief. Encourage one another with these words. The death and resurrection of Jesus gives us the ultimate reason for hope. We don't need to despair over death. We can grieve death, and we should grieve death as we see it in this world, but we don't have to despair over it as Christians. 
this, by, this passage reminds us of this and tells us to come alongside one another in encouragement on these truths. But there's one thing I want to take you to, one passage in the Gospel of John that I think embodies this idea very, very well. It's found in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, if you want to turn there, we can, we can look at this for a few minutes together. Um, Jesus is told that his friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus um, heard this and decided to stay where he was for a couple more days before starting to travel to where Lazarus is in Bethany. Inevitably, Jesus waits to teach a lesson and to, to show us something profound. But, all, but Lazarus does die in the delay that Jesus takes to get there. In verse 11 of chapter 11, it says, After saying these things, Jesus said to his disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I must go awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. So you can, you can see Paul uses the same language in 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians as well this idea of sleep and rest. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now there was some hesitation to go to this because uh, Jesus had almost been killed um, prior to this in that same region. And so they were kind of afraid to go, his disciples were. But it says in verse 16 that Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. So a little bit of boldness there from Thomas in that moment. Say, okay, if he's going to go, he's, he's going to go bring Lazarus. He's going to die and we'll, we might as well go die with him too. Okay, so that sets up the context. Look at verse 17 through, through uh, 27 probably is where we'll stop. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews who had, uh, had come to Martha and Mary, who were Lazarus' sisters, to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, he went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That, that resonates with us, right? those moments where we go, Lord, where were you in this? Why aren't you, why weren't you here sooner? But even in that expression of grief, there is hope in her heart. It says, but even now, verse 22, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming in to the world. When she had said these things, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here. He's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Okay, so this is just highlighting what's happening in the story. Jesus is at this, this funeral for his friends, and the sisters are crying, everybody's crying. He's moved by this, and yet he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and that's in fact what he does at the end of the story. He calls Lazarus to come out of the tomb, and he's, he's raised from the dead. We see in this a tenderness from Jesus in the face of death. We see Jesus actually weep because of death in this passage. We see Jesus moved deeply in his spirit because of the grief he's seeing in the world. And so here's the thing. It's incredibly encouraging to have a God who is willing to enter our world and experience our pain and be moved with compassion in response to this sin-sick world. That's a comfort That's an encouragement. But there's something even greater that we have a God who is not just willing to do, uh, enter into that, but also do something about it to change the entire trajectory of our lives. The wonderful news of the gospel is that Jesus came to do something about sin and death once and for all. He wasn't just emotionally moved by its effects, although he was. He actually entered into the sin-sick world we live in to offer hope to those of us living in it. And the hope of the gospel is found in this man, Jesus Christ, where he says in the central part of this story, the hope of the gospel is found in his words to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's the greatest hope we have, that our Savior is the resurrection and the life. Jesus then asked Martha this question, do you believe this? (laughs) That's the same question he asks us today. In the face of our trouble, in the face of parting from loved ones, in in the face of all the death we see in this world, do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? If we do, his presence is with us and ultimately awaiting for us. The fact that he rose again from the dead after going to his own death secures a place with us forever. And that's why we're called to encourage one another with these words because it is the death of Christ and his ultimate resurrection that gives us hope. So we grieve, but we don't grieve as those without hope. And that's that's the heart of this. And it ultimately comes down to who Jesus is as the resurrection and the life. So let me pray for us.
Uh, Jesus, thank you for being the resurrection and the life that, that though we die, we will live with you. And if we live, we will never truly die because we have an eternal life that's found in you. I'm reminded, God, in this moment of John 3.16, that you so love the world that whoever believes in you will have eternal life. Though we die in body, we will never die in spirit, and ultimately we know you will bring us back to life at the resurrection of the dead and the return at your return. We pray, God, that we would be secured in these truths, that as we face a, a broken world, that we would see it with hope and find our joy in you, that we would trust in you as the resurrection and the life. Would you give, give us grace to do that today? And we pray it in your name. Amen.